yeah. And we're back with the stories for this week. But first, Larry's got an announcement, and then Allison has a, a thing. So, whoa, 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 Larry, whoa, 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 whoa. then Allison. All right. So, uh, yeah, I'm teaching uh, SAN Security 617, the wireless ethical hacking and penetration testing course, uh, coming to a city near you uh, in Vegas, NS2013. Uh, right now, VLive is running right now. You're probably a little late for that. Um, and uh, I'm also teaching Security 575 for CyberCon later this year. Um, it's actually about a month, month and a half away. Uh, and I'm excited about doing that. So uh, we should have some fun. And uh, CyberCon is interesting in that uh, you can go to a con. They schedule online, uh, schedule classes and like online uh, presentations at night. And you don't even have to leave your office or your home because it's all virtual. Um, and yeah, we hang out at all hours of the night, and drink beers together virtually and all that type of stuff. So um, yeah, come and sign out. I don't know if the uh, the discount code uh, works. No, it's just for VLive. Uh, maybe John has one somewhere stashed away, or um, but we'll post the discount codes as they come available. And Allison has a thing. Yes. Go, Allison. Go me. You're gonna be talking at Black Hat. Yeah, I'm gonna be talking at Which Black day? Hat this year. Wednesday or Thursday? Um, oh crap! What's the 31st? Or, I mean, Wednesday. hold on. That's let Wednesday. me let me pull up the schedule again. Well, I can. You know what? I'll pull up the schedule while you talk. How's that? All I'll right. Do that for you. Okay. Thank you. So I'm giving a talk at Black Hat this year. The title is Denying Service to DDoS Protection Services. <laughs> so uh, this past year or so, I've been looking at a lot of malicious websites that sell DDoS as a service and stolen credit cards as a service. And it turns out that a lot of them are behind DDoS protection. And I found that very strange. But it turns out when you're selling DDoS, being DDoSed is an occupational hazard. So... I, as I was trying to find out more about these websites, I realized, hey, I can just bypass all these DDoS protection services. Uh, that's great. So I realized later on that actually a lot of legitimate websites also use this exact same protection. So I submitted a CFP. I was like, hey, I can bypass all of this stuff. Uh, and they accepted me. So now I'm speaking at Black Hat. So who's the primary user of DDoS protection services? Is well, it just like random or? I mean, it's a legitimate service. Yeah, you, but you like sign the customers up. are who? Like random? Yeah, just whoever wants to sign up. It's, I, uh, <laughs> I mean. Usually it's a reactive thing than a proactive thing from my experience. Yeah, yeah it's, yeah, yeah. it's just like, another layer of security. The service that uh, says they're going to protect you against DDoS attacks. And some of them also have this uh, some kind of WAF functionality as well. And it turns out that I can bypass a whole lot of this. It's really easy. So you're speaking on July 31st. Wednesday. Wednesday of Black Hat at 11.45 a.m. in Palace 2. That's right. I know where that is. I've been to Caesar so much. I know exactly where that is. Really? This will be my first time going to Black Hat. I'm so excited. John, do you know where Palace 2 is? You must know where Palace 2 is, right? No. I have no idea. Yes, you do. You've been to Caesar's enough to know. Well, that. it's the best palace where all the best talks are happening. Just 11.45 so you know. oh. a.m. July 31st, the Wednesday of Black Hat in Palace 2. Allison's denying service to he does. Did you want to tell us anything more or... Um, I don't want to. I don't want you to give the whole presentation now. We're releasing a tool. Is this just that, you, or is there someone else speaking too? Because um, like I'm you... the only one speaking. But okay, uh, you had some partners in 
Not, yeah, I mean, not crime, but when I when I say we're releasing a tool, I've been working with other people to do okay. this as well. Um, so we're releasing a tool to automate the bypass method, and mm -hmm. during the talk, I'm going to talk about a lot of techniques that I found to bypass these services. And uh, now, have the ser are the services kind of pissed off that you're giving this talk? I haven't heard anything. Yeah, they <laughs> absolutely love it. They're, they're I can't imagine. I'm sure they're, they're thrilled, thrilled about, about it. it. They're yeah. like, oh, great. Somebody's going to ruin everything for us now. They sent her a bouquet of puppies and penguins. So. <laughs> I would love a bouquet of puppies and penguins. How, how is your puppy doing, by the way? He's so cute. Oh, my gosh. I have Does a funny... Does he still eat your feet and stuff? Yes. I have a funny video of him. I'll show you later. Okay. It's Sounds really good. funny. Alrighty. So I'm totally psyched about this talk. And if you happen to be in town at the time, I encourage you to attend. Well, I will, Attendance I, is futile. I Attendance will, is mandatory. What time does B-Side start in the morning? You don't even know, Jack. You're giving me this blank stare. You haven't, he forgot. You, wait, I'll tell you what time B-Side starts for those of us making the event happen. It starts Monday night and ends Friday afternoon. <laughs> so the exact schedule, I don't know. I'm oh, yeah, I see. <laughs> Set up staff volunteer breakfast starts at 7 a.m. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the keynote <laughs> the keynote 10, is from 10, 10 to 10:30. 10 yeah. 10, we start at 10. So I can I can probably come and catch the keynote and then head over to Black Hat to catch Allison's talk. Yeah, cuz it's less than a mile away. We'll have shuttles running. So we'll have a, a shuttle. We'll have a shuttle running nonstop between uh yeah. Caesars and uh, get in there, watch Allison's talk Tuscan and then I'll be at the Tenable booth probably the rest of the time. Yep. And Yay. uh yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm speaking that afternoon, so we're not conflicting. We're only a mile apart. That's we're not good. conflicting, so we're there. All I got to say is, holy crap, the DEF CON lineup for speakers. You mean the DEF, you mean the B-Sides? No, DEF CON. Oh, oh, okay. DEF CON. Just, you know, we're talking about the whole yeah, yeah, B-Sides, yeah. DEF CON, B-Sides, B-Sides, um, Black Hat stuff in general, that this, this lineup for DEF CON is just amazing this year. There's, um, I, there is a ton of good content at all of the yeah. at the three events this year. Um, My apologies, I didn't look at the content for no, Black no, Hat or Defcon because I'm not going. Yeah, so. the 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 Black Hat stuff. I've said it before. Um, you know, a few years ago, they seemed to sort of lose their way, uh, and I know that there are a lot more people than just him, but. My buddy Trey Ford has has been the point man for really focusing that back on the community. And Black Hat is uh, uh, Black Hat's uh, you know Black Hat again to mm. to be candid. It's a, it's a kick ass conference. Great great content. Uh, DefCon the team is not split between the two, so they're really doing a killer job. And you know the 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 B side stuff. There's a lot of um, a lot of good infosec stuff, but there's a lot of good you know. All sorts of crazy topics, you know, real hacker mindset, everything from <clears throat> um, fun with 3D printers in creating things for the boudoir, for example. I believe that talk. Oh, my. Uh, we invited you to come on the on the show. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> wow. I can't believe I just, I wow. just stepped. I, wow. And, uh, I don't know how we're going to get through that interview. <laughs> we're going to... And, and, and yes, You know what? We, Allison will give the interview yeah, for so that we'll one. Get, and all of our microphones will be muted. What makes you think I'm going to be any better? <laughs> <You're the best. laughs> well, if Jack did it, that would be creepy, right? Larry and I could never handle an interview like that and be serious. So. Actually, I probably could. 
No, you, you could handle it, I'm sure. Handle it. <laughs> I, can handle, I can handle it during the whole you interview. Could, <laughs> be handling it under that desk there. <laughs> Case in point. <laughs> oh hey, my. where are those paper towels? Do <laughs> <laughs> you have lotion in here by any chance? Uh, <laughs> hand sanitizer? No! <laughs> you know what you never use? Aura gel. Oh, God. I see a lot. No, no, Ben Gay. There's no beating, deep heating. Wow. Oh. Wow. Yeah, no, never use Origel. Never, ever use Origel. I see hot. Like I said, that's, Allison's going to do the interview, and the rest of our learn. microphones are going to be muted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Trust me, you'll be no better off. I have faith in you, Allison. Yeah, that's, yeah, never mind. So moving on. Moving on. Well, it's good. I wanted to include uh, a healthy amount of information about the conference is coming up because this would be the episode that I think people will be listening to <laughs> while they're on the plane going right, to the conference. Right. So, so if you need yeah. if you need some stupid entertainment, um, we'll come up with more than just the Twitter feed. There'll be a Ustream channel, I'm sure. Oh, of your epic dump drive it to across the... But HackerRoad.com? Yeah, just no. HackerRoad on Twitter. Oh, HackerRoad. So Twitter. HackerRoad. No spaces. Hacker. HackerRoad. I, that's the old, uh, if you were following Schmooboss, that's the old Schmooboss one. I haven't changed the logo over yet, but uh, Steve and I will be, uh, <laughs> Steve and I will be uh, tweeting on Hacker Road uh, and uh, sharing images and videos and uh, banjo clips from the woods and things like that, squealing like pigs, things like that. Uh, starting when? when uh, so uh, one week from today. So that's seven twenty fifth or twenty sixth. The twenty fifth. We'll we'll kick it off uh, the evening of Thursday, the twenty fifth, uh, and then we start in earnest early on uh, the twenty sixth. Friday the twenty sixth. We'll start. Uh, we'll probably have commentary starting by eight a.m. Eastern time, and it will go until we uh, fall over or hear banjos, and uh, continue. Uh, the plan is to meet up with the um, the cycle override guys tentatively sometime Sunday, the whatever that is, the 28th. We'll meet them somewhere in Utah. Uh, we'll roll the window down about an inch because we don't want to waste air conditioning, and we'll say hi, and then we'll drive off. Yeah, they probably smell bicycles. really bad by then, too. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know what? We might pop in the RV with Heidi and the kids and uh, hang out with them. But They don't smell. JP and, uh, JP and Bruce, and yeah. So... Uh, yeah, don't forget JP and Bruce are going and they're trying to raise some awareness and some money for folks and uh, some yep. cycle override. We'll catch up with them, but we have a lot of interesting stops, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, redneck side trips, and uh, at least two distilleries are on the list. And uh, uh, no, yeah, so uh, if you're bored, you're trapped at work, pretending to work, um, yeah, keep an eye on Hacker Road. Yes. All right, what stories do we have? <laughs> we have for a this ton week? of stories. Hmm. Stories. Let's and, read them. And this was ironic that we, you and I, both didn't pick a lot of the same stories. This we week. had one overlap, which I think was the Google Glass story. Uh, yep. So let's talk about how Google Glass works. QR codes. Yeah. So you oh, you, you, you you program the your Google Glass, uh, which uh, Mick Douglas is actually going to uh, bring his to Defcon to let how me play he, with it. Did he buy one? Uh, he yeah. got invited and he bought one. Yeah. It's fifteen hundred dollars yeah. though, right? Oh, he's like the hey, baller. He's like a baller now. Dude's an early adopter. Yep. <clears throat> I'd, consi- I'd have considered it. 
Whoa. Why big, is this that's a picture gigantic massive. Big ass picture. Okay, Rob Cornmire, if you're listening, there's a gigantic picture of Dave. Dave. White yeah, that is Wickers. really a frightening picture. It's very high resolution. <laughs> it's, it's gigantic. <laughs> Uh, just he like actually, penis. if you if you just center it on his eyes, it's it's actually one of the creepiest things you've ever seen. Oh, holy! Yeah, you, you looks know... like he has a right eyebrow hair that's out of alignment. <laughs> See that one that's going down, Jeez. and yeah, and the one that's going up above. He it. said he just removed it. And it's thanks, Cornmire. Uh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, so the uh, so the whole yeah, that, that whole sizing images for websites thing is a talent that was lost lost in the 90s. with yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, the Google Glass thing, Paul. Um, yeah, you program your Google Glass with QR codes because there's no from what I read, there's no Isn't, input. Well, there there's input, so your temple acts as a touchscreen. Yep, um, my understanding. Um. Yeah. That's and that's about the only input. There's some voice commands and some of those types of things. But if you want to do things, you look at QR codes. And if you want to join a wireless network, you basically go to your computer and pops up a QR code, uh, and it joins a wireless network. But you can program it pretty much at any time. If you look at a QR code, and of course you can't read it, so you don't know what it says, and it will program your uh, Google Glass to join a malicious wireless network that's being man in the middle. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I like the quote that you have, Larry. The yeah. uh, snow crash uh, yeah. quote. Yeah. So it was the the quote that I saw, and indirectly it was, um, where was it? Uh, so you've made a vi- the virus from snow crash that only infects nerds. Pretty much. Yep. So what is it? Only developers can have Google Glass now. Mm-mm. Is that the? Mm-mm. No, you can buy it now. Uh, no. So they had a re- limited release. Uh, um, for select invites for the fifteen hundred dollars, uh, and they will be going into production later this year. My understanding. And will they still be fifteen hundred dollars? No, they're going to be more than that. Less, less. My understanding is less. Yeah, I, I know that a lot of people are ripping on them, and they're kind of a douchey thing to have. But just between you guys and me, and thousands of people that w- listen to the show, I, I I'd love to have a set. Yeah. I don't think I'd walk around the street with them, but it'd be cool to play with. <clears throat> Do they I have agree. prescription I want, I want Google glasses? I'm sure they must. They, have so made. they basically end up just being a set of frames. So you've, you're like a, a total hipster with glasses without lenses. So there, there's no reason you can't add Google Glass to your existing. Yes. I would walk with them. You uh, want you want it too, is what you're saying? Yes. yes. Totally. Uh, I've wanted one of video these video games. Uh, I've wanted one of these since uh, they talked about the wearable computing stuff at MIT. Dear Google, please send five, six, six. Six sets. Of six. You buying seven? Google? No, they just send it to us because we'll talk about it on the show. Is Do we, are awesome? you just going to tweet this right now? Yeah, please, please send us all Google glasses. Please. That'd be awesome. Send Great a, thing is if there are any if there are any ugly phones in it that get exploited in the wild, <laughs> they'll fix them in seven days. That's right. Right. <laughs> Alrighty. They, they deserve all the abuse they can get on yeah, vulnerabilities. They, so why help desk employees are social engineers' favorite target? I think it's pretty simple, right? The help desk is there to help you. Therefore, it's usually the first target. Because if it's your job to help me, then you can give me my username and, and password. And, and, <laughs> Thank you very much. And, and they helpful. just want to get off the damned telephone. <laughs> That's another excellent <laughs> yeah. reason yes. for that, right? I, mean, I don't that, care if I'm being SE'd. 
if this guy hangs up when I give him passwords. <laughs> the other thing is <laughs> my ticket throughput goes up. Yeah. <laughs> the person in finance may has one account that maybe has access to something. The help desk has access to everyone's to account. everything. Yeah. So I think for a lot of reasons, they're a juicy target, which tells you where to focus your security training. Focus it on the help desk um, because they've, they've got access to all that stuff. Yep. They are the most targeted and likely the most susceptible because it's their job to help people. And as we know, social engineering is all about convincing people to help you. Mm-hmm. And they're there to help you. Yes. Yep. So that was- well, that, that rules out socially engineering Comcast help. But- oh, <laughs> oh <snap>. <laughs> There are certain help desks which aren't so helpful. Unhelpful desk? Unhelpful, Unhelpful desk. desks. Uh, so that was my story. So, uh, Paul, tell us about the, uh, what was it, this uh, research in weaknesses in secure mobile data stores. Yeah. That was secure and mobile are shouldn't be together. Yeah, because I, mean, I, I had a sort of a follow-on <laughs> to this. So this whole BYOD and mobile thing is, is still a hot topic. Or is Cyber it? BYOD. Is it? Uh, wow. It's one of the more interesting challenges, I think, um, that we face. My question is, does it really still matter as much as we think? I mean, does mobile malware really pose a serious threat to your organization? We've been talking about this for how long? Um, And still, I think people are, what my personal feeling on this is, that people are still struggling with patching, vulnerability management, malware on desktops, and system hardening. Yes. And this whole mobile and BYU do thing is something that really hasn't caused them any problems, so no one's really taking a huge initiative to secure it. Maybe they are, maybe that's unfounded, but well, so securing it, it would take away. I think it's going to finally become a problem whenever we see more, um, I guess, more standardization. I mean, you have the iOS platform. Apple's took huge leap and bounds to trying to secure their, their, their device. But right now, if you look at Android, it's so scattered. You have all these different uh, customized versions of Android for all the different carriers that it would be really, really hard to have one particular exploit that would be able to take over all of them. And it's also not financially viable. But I, I think in the, if you look in like the next five years, it's going to get to the point where you can install pretty much Android on anything, and it's going to become a very standardized library set on how Android communicates with the different device drivers, how it actually communicates with the actual hardware APIs. And once we get to that point where it's more homogenous, I think we're going to start seeing the attacks go up a lot more. Yeah, to, to your point, Paul, actually it was a Monday. I was on a uh, webinar panel on uh, BYOD. And uh, I was on with the. Uh, we have to drink forgive. every time we say BYOD. Yeah, forgive me. Uh, uh, Cyber BYOD. Chet, uh, Chet from uh, Sophos was on it, and um, uh, blanking on the other guys' names. Forgive me, gentlemen. Uh, somebody from Dell Secure Works and from Sauce, Frost and Sullivan. And in a lot of the topics, as we went through the various topics, I kept finding myself saying, this is the same problem that we've been fighting for years. And some of those, this is the same problems are finding all of the systems on your network, finding out what's installed on them, finding if they meet guidelines, controlling what they have access to, doing fundamental network segmentation, um, you know, having a policy that makes sense, uh, trying to do security without keeping your people from being able to do your, their jobs, you know, defining BYOD. Cause every, when you say, when you say that buzzword, everybody thinks we mean phones and tablets. But one of my arguments is, you know, one of the, one of the long running BYOD challenges has been people who bring, um, Macs into the workplace that, you know, into a windows environment. 
and there are a lot of companies that still struggle with that. There are people that bring networking gear into the into their cubes or whatever so that they can you know, whether it's a little wireless access point or a switch no, to no, put no. more no, more machines enterprise on. network runs that stuff. <laughs> so no, nobody ever throws a wort on their desk so they can use their iPad. And now we have the extra challenge of bring your own network actually can be, you know, you know when I show up somewhere, I've got an iPad and a phone. So I have 4G on Verizon and 4G on Sprint. So I'm literally bringing my own network connectivity, right? And, you know, if you, what is, is spinning up your own cloud instance, bring your own, right? Bring your own. So if we're just talking about phones, but as you said, Paul, back at the beginning of this, wait, we've been trying to do this with, with shit bolted to the desk for over a decade. Uh, let's, yeah. Let's, let's mean, get that, right? So my other story that segues into that is, so the other article I picked up this week that I think really supports my case is that uh, a study by Bit9 found that most enterprise networks are riddled with vulnerable Java installations. So where's my shocked face? Somebody let me give, wait, give me a minute to put on my shocked well, here's the thing. face. <laughs> and we're somewhat guilty of it. Right? We talk about all these sexy topics like wireless, mobile, BYOT, BYOD, APT, cyber war. Everybody drink. Everybody a drink. Lot. B-O-A-O-T, is that like bring your own turd? Yeah. I, we well, are talking about Java. Um, it's like bring your own. Not f- yet, we're not. It's actually a new term. It's bring your, I uh, see, I borrowed the T from APT, and I put it at the end of B-Y-O-D, so come up with bring your own threat. Oh, that's. Huh? That's. Huh? A new, that may be a new acronym, but that's not a new problem. Yes, <laughs> exactly. That's, yeah, it's called users. Yeah. I mean, the reality is that, that two-year-old Java vulnerability still exists in your network. It's most accessible through phishing attacks. Attackers are well-versed in exploiting it, and they will bypass antivirus and potentially, probably high likelihood, go undetected in your network. Can, can we time out? Can we fix this problem first before we talk about how all that other crap may impact our organizations? And another thing. <laughs> no, 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 because we have to have BYOD tomorrow. That's right. And I, I got a question. Though. Hold on, I mean, John. So along these lines, let me web guys on the show. Hold on, let me finish. Could have asked hold on, John. Hold on. So but, along these lines, if you have one system on your network missing a critical, easy to exploit vulnerability, is that okay? Many have now come out and said, and I've, I've read that we gave, they say, we gave up on patching everything. We'll just try and patch most of it. I say, to those people, you gave up on security oh, entirely. God, how many ways? Oh. So here's a poll for the audience, right? It ties this all ties together, Jack. How many ways can we describe how just one critical vulnerability can lead to compromise of your complete entire network systems and data? How many pen testers have been there? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. All right, exactly. So, so right? John, John has a comment. I don't question. even do so pen testing, and I've been and, there. And, and, I mean, accidentally. I didn't. I just tripped and fell I, on it. I, but, I accidentally. Uh, <laughs> I accidentally. Just like my tested? penis. What? Uh, oh, <laughs> Bob. Bob was. Bob's. Bob's looked, your uncle. Bob's looked at things and tripped and fallen and into and them. Had illegitimate children. John, yes. did you have something to say? Yeah, I, I just want to know, because I, I know that we had some really smart web developers on tonight, and I wish we could have asked them this, but why the hell is it that, is Java such a horrible freaking language that every time there's an update, you need to completely redo all of your applications? Or is it just, when people are developing their applications, it's like web apps from years ago. This was built to run on IE5. 
Are they just checking for a specific version, or is there really massive, massive, big differences well, underneath John, the code base that they they have to keep legacy versions of Java floating around for these well, legacy it's applications? An, it's an excellent point, and I, I totally agree, but you also bring up kind of another thing, too, is everyone talks about this BYOD mobile APT cyber war, all these latest threats. Every, I'm running out of beer. beer. I ran out of beer on this story, and... But you bring up another point. How many web applications, John, have you and I and the rest of the team seen that have something from the OWASP top 10 list that, as we learned in our previous segment, has been around for a really long time, and it's easily exploitable? Every one of well, them. Well, shit, it's almost every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think, <laughs> and, and, you know, this is an interesting topic, and, you know, it's something that I've talked about with Jack in the past. Think, think of your IT infrastructure. Whenever we talk about BYOD, whenever we talk about Java, whenever we talk about all of these different technologies, it's not an issue of fixing any one of these technologies. It's an issue of growing complexity. Every single year, the snowball of shit makes one rotation, and it picks up a whole new set of technologies, a whole new set of devices, a whole new set of versions of Java, a whole new set of versions of Adobe Acrobat and Adobe Reader, and this ball continues to roll. We are not reducing technology in our environment. We, we spend all this time trying hmm. to patch this shit whenever we really should, should be asking, wait a minute, can we actually get rid of some of this crap? Because I think that's a far more important question for these infrastructures. These really old, mature environments are the easiest ones to get into because they have so much legacy crap floating around mm. so i think that all of these issues that we're talking about byod we're talking about old versions of yeah, Java, but not are just, all symptoms of growing complexity in a technical workspace but not just legacy uh, <laughs> yeah, this versions is like- or legacy applications but the scary part is john is even if you are let's say you have a 120 day patch cycle you're still missing out on a whole bunch of stuff well, uh, yeah, great example. Absolutely oh, wondering. God. So you could be even trying right. to keep up, but it's a losing to kill me. He's, he's out to the entire team scanning our servers with Nessus every damn day. Every day, you do credential scans against our servers to let us know what vulnerabilities exist. It is annoying, but it's extremely eye-opening. It seems like there's new vulnerabilities being released for these products on a daily basis. And I know that that, 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 that should be something that should be known, right? We shouldn't have to say that. But whenever you're staring it straight in the face and looking at a handful of servers, every day Nessus comes back and it's like, oh, by the way, there's a new vulnerability that you need to fix in this particular software package on the server. It's pretty mind-blowing. And in 120 days, there would be a a lot of vulnerable software, you know just what, a handful of servers. You know what, John? I'm going to declare something dead right now here in the show. Oh, we all know fuck, how here it comes. Here we know how to declare The patch window is dead. Yes. That's what we're saying. Wait, no, no, what does that mean? There's no such thing as a, you don't have a window anymore. Never had a window to do patches. <laughs> if you're wait, not, wait, 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 time out. If I, you're I, not I, patching I, it when it comes out, you're screwed. That, that, so that would imply so that you here's, had a here's birth the, of a patch window. The, the thing is in... in a lot of enterprises. Um, let's think about how I can word this without getting into trouble. No, no, go get, ahead, no, get in trouble, Jack. no, no. I just think uh, about I, it. Just so, say it. so nothing about sources, but of uh, people, and, and this was not somebody who was happy about this situation. So, but I'm not going to out him because of the context. But uh, speaking to a variety of enterprises who feel they don't need, there's no point in doing. Um, regular, much less continuous vulnerability scanning because they only patch every 90 days. So there's really no point in knowing first, there's no point in knowing everything that's wrong with the environment. And there's certainly no point in updating that uh, in a timely manner 
since they're not going to patch in a timely manner. Wow. Excuse, hold on, I just I threw up on myself a little bit. And, Jack, and, <laughs> and when we're not streaming or recording, um, or if you get me in Vegas, drunk at, drunk at Vegas. I'll, uh, I, I still won't out some of the uh, the context, but I'll give you a little more details. But yes, it's the, uh, most, it's the most that, ludicrous. It for my mom. It has right, to be yeah. the most. I mean, it, it's it lud- is, more ludicrous it, so to me because you, we're in the field, right? right? In that area. It's the most ludicrous thing I've, I've ever heard in security. And, and I've been doing the show for this, eight this, years. And this so was from somebody that it's got to be right that up there. Runs, but- that runs into this with some regularity and actually cares about security and uh, you know, I mean, it, it, Paul, as you said, it's it's not just what we do because it's what we do. It's it's what you know. It's what pays for, uh, you know, pays the bills for us. Yep. That, I mean, that's the industry we're in. Is so, vulnerability management? But so, there are a lot of people John, that just John's, feel. He's jumping I, up John, just yeah. chill because <laughs> frothing. It's. Yes. Sorry, oh, John. All, all I will say is my colon has been uh, <laughs> angry at me for so much steak for a long time. Uh, it, uh, yeah, so, ahead, so here, here's the thing that I recommend people try. If you, if you just want to try it, get a network segment. Okay, go get your scanning tool of choice. And I think there's some people on this on the show that would have some great recommendations <laughs> for what scanning tool you should for vulnerability sensors. Me, me personally, <laughs> I don't care. Just grab something. Turn on credentialed scans. Scan it against a small segment of your environment and weep. But, um, but hold on, it, hold on, John. <laughs> I I heard someone who will go without a name that says some of the vulnerability scanning tools should come with a bucket of sand. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so you can bury your head in it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. I don't know who said that. I don't know who um, said here's, that. Here's the thing about it, though. Too. It's a convenient and, and it's place to, to all put back yourself me up on this. If you do credentialed scanning, two things are going to happen. One, it's faster. It's much faster than straight oh, up God, traditional yes. scanning. Two, it's a hell of a lot more stable because you're not trying oh, to check for exploits. <laughs> is that would that be a safe assessment? It, it for is the vulnerability assessment. It is three. Yeah, it, the attackers in right. your environment are going to get credentials it's, anyways, it's, so it's assume three, that they can see right. everything you can. Exactly. Uh, that's no, a great no, point, Larry. So I like that. To, yeah, but no, so, but that. To John, absolutely. If you use credential scans. And this is not that other podcast that Paul does that I'm on. So this is this one. Whatever the tool available to you is, use credentialed scans. The load on the scanner is lower. The load on the network is lower. The load on the scanned target is lower. It is faster and more accurate. Less false positives. Exactly. And Jack said load three times. Load. That's back when I was young. And people won't do it. And here's why. In this industry, we're caught between two choices, either things that are somewhat difficult and will have benefit and have value, application whitelisting, internet whitelisting, credential scans. We can choose to do those things, but they're going to be hard, but they'll work. Then on the other side of the fence, we have shit we can do that does not work. We know it doesn't work, but it hits a checkbox, AV, IDS, IPS, more of that type of technology. And People consistently choose the easy path that does not work because it makes them feel good that they're actually getting something done when, in fact, they're actually no, not. Now, now John, now John I would argue that it, that it it's not that it doesn't work. It only works about half the time. <laughs> in, in, in 10% of the cases, I would say you're right, Larry. It only works about half the time, 10% of the time. Oh, wow. Um, but, you know, that goes back to the uh, bucket of sand there are some people that are happy to not actually know what's going on in their environment because it's uh, otherwise they couldn't 
the clear conscience sign, you know, the executives wouldn't sign things if they actually knew what a train wreck they had for an environment. Yep. Well, that was cheery, gentlemen and <laughs> ladies. I'm just baffled that no matter how you value risk in your organization, if you're going to leave things unpatched for multiple oh. multiple months or more, I mean, there's no way. I mean, unless you're using that new fancy math that is not even real and fake, there's no way you can say, yeah, we accept that level of risk. There's so no way. Well, but you, but no, 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 no. You've got compensating about The one where it's like uh, we scanned through an environment and crashed a couple of uh, out-of-date Cisco devices. And it's not that the Cisco devices are missing their patches that many people would say. Now, the people we're working with are fine. They're going to fix this problem. Hold on, John. That's not on the same pen test that we've been talking about. No, no, no. That's a different one. Oh, okay. But what did they blame? Oh, you really? You have to let me rant about this one now? <laughs> Go for it. So let's just... So, okay, wait, wait, wait. So I, I, got a, I got a comment about this Go before you start your rant. Go ahead. I keep some ancient Cisco gear on my home network just to piss myself. No, I mean, uh, just so I have uh, results for scanning. And I've got ancient stuff, and I can't make it fall over. So if you've got Cisco gear that's falling over with aggressive scanning... Holy shit! That's older than me. And you know what? And you, I, and you know what? Problem. And you know what? I claim that as a finding. If I can knock your shit over with my simple stuff, you guys are fucked. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Right. If I if I can knock your shit over with Nmap, <laughs> I'm just gonna walk away right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what are we back to talking about? Novell um, Network. Oh, oh snap! <laughs> it, it's Jeez. like, but it's it's the survivability <laughs> test. If I can take a tool off the shelf, open source or commercial or whatever that's meant to scan in any way, shape, or fashion, if I can knock over your device, you've got a problem. Now, the initial reaction from people who have never been through a security assessment is they point the finger towards the security assessment and say your tool's broken, and it's like, no, well, no, 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 hold on, let's let's take a step back here. Your shit is broken. Yeah, my tool my works just doing fine. My job. <laughs> and now that's not maybe always true. I mean, you know, we try not to make, we try not to crash things. But if you're not trying to crash something and it crashes. Yeah, then... this assessment now with free denial of service testing. Yeah. <laughs> but but what, what so... needs to happen is, and I think that people in security need to really pay attention when this situation occurs, is to present it as an opportunity. And yeah. this is what we've been doing with this particular um, uh, fictitious but organization right is that still it it is nice though whenever you do work with teams like one of the teams we're working with now where we hit the shit it knocked over and they're like this is something we gotta fix yes. it is rare when that happens but it's a breath of fresh air well, one of the but it's that... an opportunity to understand what's wrong in your environment and here's the important yeah. points in that is to say okay we want to run the scan again and we want to knock over your stuff again and they're usually like oh my god what do you mean let's do it during a maintenance hour a maintenance window the next maintenance window, let's knock it over again. Let's do a packet capture. Let's understand exactly why it's rolling over. Let's get information from your vendor, yep. maybe beforehand, understand why it's rolling over. Then let me tweak my processes a little bit so that I can scan it without knocking it over. Now well, I know it, I can safely it, scan the rest of your network without doing that. Also, once you apply the patch, I want to go back and I want to re-enable that thing that was knocking it over. Then I want to scan your network again. And I want to make sure that it stands up. And I want to do that during your maintenance hour under these controlled conditions. Mm. And yep. it's those controlled conditions that are important because you're not going to incur any more downtime, yet you're going to weed out this problem that can cause significant damage 
to your organization yes. and probably poses yes. more risk than a lot of other things. Ding, ding, ding. And, and, and it's beautiful when we finally get a team that gets it and mm-hmm. wants to work with us on that. They're like, yeah, we want this fixed. We want to do it during the maintenance window. They're letting us now do the packet capture before, yes. the packet capture after. They're treating it like a scientific test. We, instead of just and saying, exactly how, tool, yeah. they're saying, let's let's find out exactly what the issue is, fix the issue, and make sure that the issue resolves. And, and the, the, that's the fictitious scanning vendor in this scenario is very interested in the results. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so one of the things that um, a lot of organizations don't understand yet is the significance of denial of service conditions on their network. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, I got a good story about this. Because they don't, <laughs> they don't get it. Now, so if you're in financial services, you've probably learned this one the hard way uh-huh. or chatted with buddies who have. Because once the DOS, once, the, once stuff starts crashing, ask South Korea about this, for example. <laughs> once stuff crashes, it may just be somebody's screwing with you and it's malicious. It could be that all the good stuff is gone from their, your network and they're doing denial of service or distributed denial of service so that you're going to be distracted and you're not going to have the ability to discover it because you're going to spend all your cycles screwing with what you think are script kitties until their mules have pulled the cash or shipped the strike fighter plans to, you know, Beijing or Toronto or whatever hostile foreign country is stealing. Wait, no. And, and <laughs> uh, didn't we just have that happen where they were uh, they were jamming the phone line systems for help desk and sending out emails to all their users asking them to change their user IDs and password or change their passwords? I, I think that we've actually seen this. I thought it was in the news. I wish I could remember what bank it was. But yeah, there was a bank that was hit where their call system was completely DOSed while they spearfished the uh, the customers yes. of this organization yes. and nobody yes. could make a call in to figure out if it was legitimate or not. Yep. So uh, my story on this one, uh, we were working with a customer and uh, yeah, we said, hey, uh, you know, we're doing sort of the real time. Hey, I just found some stuff. It looks like uh, you've got one of those uh, deals. What was it? The, the Microsoft RDP one with the denial of service, the single packet sort of denial of service deal, blue screens, the box. You got, yep. a, couple, you got a couple of systems that are vulnerable to denial of service. Oh, well, I know we don't have denial of service uh, uh, testing. What servers are those on? Oh, this one's a low priority server. Let's test that at lunchtime. Um, we got permission from the organization to do denial of service testing because they wanted to see what it looked like. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, you're going to be completely underwhelmed, but sure. Dude, uh, we did that this morning. We, I had my whole team up at 4 o'clock this morning to do DOS testing. And you know, I'm really happy when customers want us to do that. At least they yeah. want to know, right? Oh, yeah. John, so, so I'm, wait, sorry, wait. I, I'm sorry I missed that. Yeah, MS twelve oh twenty. Yeah, so uh, so we launched MSO twelve oh twenty against the server, and he was uh, it's it was a virtual system. They were on the virtual console, was viewing the console from the virtual the virtualization manager, um, not remotely connected, but remotely connected to the virtualization manager that had console there. And he's like, "Hey, it just blue screened. It's now unresponsive." I'm like, "And <laughs> uh, oh, okay, so I better reboot it then." If you want it to come back up, then yeah, you should probably reboot it. Um, it reboots and he says, uh, I, I can't ping it anymore. I'm like, uh-huh. Well, and that, that's the point of denial of service. And, and denial said, of service. And I said, well, that's not anything I did. I just made it blue screen and you reboot it and it comes back. It's like, but there's no network interfaces defined on the system anymore. I'm like, well, that's not my problem. Somebody did something to your system before you rebooted it. And uh, yeah, welcome to change control, my friend. 
<laughs> or, or lack thereof. <laughs> or yeah, or lack thereof. And I, uh, uh, it was kind of funny. So many. It, apparently, this was such a critical system that it went almost four months before we reviewed the draft report with them because they wanted to go through and verify all the stuff. And we get into the review of the draft report, and they said four months later. Um, we think you made a mistake on the IP of the service, the the system that you did denial of service testing against, because we can't ping it. <laughs> and I just slapped my forehead literally on the call, and they heard it, and they're like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm That's like, awesome. "Do you not remember the whole test?" But <sighs> 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 apparently, wasn't. and you were supposed to show up on Monday. Fuck yeah. <laughs> 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 and I didn't. Oh boy. Alrighty. Uh, what else you guys got? Enter Al- John's, Allison, Enter John's I've mom. Got, Jack, Larry. I've got one. Um, so this one's entitled Other Consumer Reports. What you should yeah, know about specialty reports. So I've been meaning to post this earlier, but I haven't been able to be on the show lately. So I've been just sitting on it for the past month. But you know how privacy That's and this... Said. that is what she said it is in fact uh so anyways you know how privacy and massive data aggregation is in the news a lot lately um well this is not really government run necessarily but this link is very interesting because it describes a lot of databases out there that aggregate data that can be used against you in various ways uh there's a lot of material in this link and i think that it's important that you read it and educate yourself Uh, Because, uh, for example, if you have a profile in this database that indicates you're a high risk of, I don't don't know, something, uh, you might get denied for, say, home insurance. Because when you apply for home insurance, they're going to run your information against one of these databases and say, hey, is this person more likely to wreck their house? Um, Or or more importantly, file claim. How many times would you have to be stopped at the Canadian border to be considered a high risk? I don't know, um, but it, it it takes John. It takes once. Well, but it's believe, uh, me, believe me, I know. Believe me, I know. Carlos, you're screwed. By the way. Well, I I, I think, found this. I think uh, we should just ask all of our Canadian friends to come here for a conference. <laughs> yeah, that'll go over well. <laughs> no, dude, they don't tra- want to visit the dude, US? No, they do, but their travel budgets are worse than the U.S. federal government. Uh, well, yeah, anyway, it's, it that that whole thing seems to be who can be a bigger dick about tra- crossing between the U.S. and Canada is my theory. Well, maybe we just need to figure out how to way to sneak into Canada reliably, and that's how we get in. It's called a snowmobile in the wintertime in Maine. But John probably has like eight snowmobiles. I mean, he lives in South Dakota. It's probably snowing no, 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 now. I've but got you have to go. But you got to all go. All, you got to back home. <laughs> but you got to go all the way across North Dakota first. Yeah, there's, there's yeah, another state in the way. That'd be fun. You'll probably drive through there on your trip across country, Jack. If we drive through, my navigator's got problems. <laughs> you're, you're going the redneck route. I see. We're, well, the, yeah, way west, the, the way west. We're going uh, going down across forty eventually. So, where do we all stand in the whole privacy NSA government spying anything? Uh, you know story? what? It was it was kind of funny. I actually, was having a conversation via. We can't IM. have a podcast without saying Edward Snowden. Okay, we didn't. Okay. So uh, so I was having a conversation via IM with Darren today, and we were talking about ordering large quantities of thermite in excess of 30 pounds. And uh, he said, oh, shit, now the NSA is listening. And I said, no, 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 the NSA has always been listening. Now they're actually just actively looking at the conversation. So, guys, while you're here, 
can you please send me backups of the pictures from Darren's iPhone from three years ago, so that I can get so that I can get the wiring diagrams of how my father's machinist lathe was put together. <laughs> you know what's awesome about that is we may have listeners there, and they're like, "Okay, I challenge accepted." <laughs> yes, and if you can locate those pictures from uh, Darren's iPhone. Uh, it would be greatly appreciated because I have no idea how this shit was wired up and we had to disconnect all the wiring to get it out of the basement of my father's house and I'd really like to put it back together. Wow. <laughs> naked wiring diagram pictures. Yeah, yeah, no, there were no naked That's pictures. That's a totally new kind of porn. Challenge accepted. So where do where do we stand on the privacy issue? What do we think of this whole thing? Do we privacy. care? Do we want it? Does it even deserve discussion on this Dude, story? I... I uh, I I think it could be very dangerous because Mm. on one hand, I mean, we are in a way, part of our duties is to help protect companies, protect, uh, help companies protect their secrets. Mm. And this whole surveillance thing, essentially, it's just making another copy of secret information that's not intended to be shared. So I wouldn't be surprised if down the line, this sort of thing can be used for industrial espionage. Because because the government has proven their ability to keep secrets. Well, I mean, other than Manning and Snowden. Oh wait, right. so, right. so why James why bother? Hansen. Yeah, right. Exactly. Oh, yeah. you, you know. Oh, good. why bother trying to pop dozens of companies one at a time for you know spear phishing databases and stuff? Why not just pop the government and then have the whole treasure trove in one shot. Yeah. Now, the other, well, you know, some of the other stuff and it's all theoretical, but it's still interesting to, to worry about is, you know, who's responsible if the NSA or whoever, you know, if somebody else intercepts if for, and so a bunch of us know folks that are at various agencies. Sure. Um, and for they, the, they know us probably better than we know true, them. True, but <laughs> for the ones that I'm thinking of off the top of my head, these guys, you may not agree with their politics, but these guys are serious about what they do. Mm, they're serious tech heads. They, they're they serious it. about what they do. However, remember that the data source is <laughs> ISPs. There's a, right? You want to be horrified. <laughs> Forget you know, Booz Allen, give me the Hamiltons yeah, or yeah. those guys, you know, that's as bad as that is. Think about AT&T and Verizon and the other folks that we all loathe. Um, you know, there's a challenge for you. Mm-hmm. How do you, how, what responsibility do you have now? If you're into, oh, by the way, so I didn't put it in here, but shameless self-promotion on my blog, to, yeah. I posted one today on, you know, on the yep. actual infosec lessons from these things, which, you know. <laughs> yeah, I love this Jack, by the way. <laughs> so my, my take on it is look, the politics are important. The social ramifications are important. Sure. Um, but we need to solve them in the appropriate venue. And that is, of course, uh, uh, B, B on, uh, you know, whack B on 4chan, right? That's what <laughs> <saw>. uh, <laughs> yes. But the, the infosec lesson, the, the in, you know, this is a great, in, and this is a great lesson, Jack. The infosec lesson for both Snowden and Manning and others, but those are the two that, you know, are, are still in the, in the news. Yep. Because why the hell did they have access to everything they had access to? Yep. Why did it? Why did a semi low level guy and right. or a, a military minute, contractor? Minute. They were both. Have they access. were both administrators, guys. Um, 
yeah, Snowden yeah. Snowden was an administrator, so he would have had access to those servers. Well, he uh, no, Manning wait, was, wait, was actually up. in charge of maintaining the systems at a Department of State building, but so he, he would have had access but, to those. Well, servers. Manning didn't access it from the Department of State building. He was well, he was in a forward base. Yeah. He was in a forward base. So here's the question: What you know, the question that we have to ask ourselves if we're defending things, you know, the questions are: um, Who has access to what? With where what controls? Where the Fagawi? Yeah. Who has access to what with what controls? And the idea that they have access is one thing. The idea that they can copy the whole mess off and export it without anything being triggered is something else. I know that they're, you know, in, in Massachusetts, Commonwealth of Massachusetts has some systems that uh, people can access for like uh, motor vehicle records. If you tr- do too many lookups, it triggers... Um, warnings to supervisors mm. and people will, will uh, look what into about, why. But what about cloud service providers? What, what about them? What's, a lar- lar- what's one of the <laughs> largest cloud service providers on the internet today? Google? Amazon? Google. Google. Uh, Amazon, Amazon. 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 Google think Amazon, about yeah. the people that work there. What do you think the level well, of if access they have at if, to Well, that first data? of all, if you are putting stuff somewhere else and are trusting them with your encryption keys... Because God knows nobody would be stupid enough to put stuff in the cloud <laughs> no. unencrypted, right? So if you make the mistake of trusting them with the encryption keys, then you've made a fundamental flaw. Um, if you've put stuff in the cloud unencrypted that isn't like public data, then, um, you know, please write in. We have a lot of friends looking for jobs and we'd like to give them your job because we know people more competent than you. But think uh, about even if you en- encrypt what is what you would consider private, but even think about the metadata that could be collected from that. Well, in the, you know, that's one of the things I hear a lot of people say. It's like it was only it's metadata only, that was being captured with Prism. Holy shit. There's, there's a hell of a lot that can be learned from metadata. And worse, oh, yeah. there's a hell of a lot that can be implied uh, by metadata. So, you know, we're right, talking about right. a little bit about like kind of at the beginning of the show, we communicate with people via email. There's a lot of people. I don't even know who they are, where they're at. Oh, dear but God. Somebody could be yes. gathering that metadata and being like, well, Mr. Strand is communicating with a bunch of people. So and, if, you, uh, if you, yeah, yeah. So, John, any of us here that are, well, you know, that are public, yeah. right? We yeah. don't know who we're interacting with a lot. So, you know, the, the poll.com, you know, the mail list is a, is a great resource for all sorts of things. People ask questions, conversations drop offline. That's mail.paul.com. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's not that there, but there are all sorts of places, you know, if you've figured out that, you know, if you've, if you've moved from something after Alta Vista shut down, you can probably find email <laughs> addresses yeah. for all of us and ping us. And so if, yeah. you know, if people who, are whatever in restricted countries send me email asking me about things and I'm cautious with what I uh, respond, not sure whether it's being trolled or just somebody who's happens to be somewhere that politically is uh, uh, untenable for me to deal with. Just that conversation, just that connection, you know, email from country X is yep. enough to, you know, not, <clears throat> yeah. not now, now that, yeah. now that being said, you know, we talk about this whole NSA prism deal that you know, NSA cannot engage in domestic surveillance. However, in order for them to engage in surveillance for all this, quote, terrorist activity that they wanted to do with all these providers and all of these uh, ISPs, uh, they just didn't have the ability to filter out all of the cruft, i.e. the domestic surveillance. 
to start doing some of these searches to limit it to the non-domestic stuff. So they had to get everything and then start those Wireshark filters to take out the stuff that is domestic. And well, and then even that wasn't particularly accurate from what I'm seeing. So <laughs> that, that to me is a problem. Um, but to, okay, to, so but, I got a but, question for but you. But to think that any of the the transoceanic fiber or any of that type of stuff isn't um, being sniffed at the point where it enters the ISP as it comes out of the ocean is absurd and any of that stuff. And to think that maybe someone's not listening to any of your conversations anywhere is probably absurd as well. Go ahead, John. I, I was just going to say, but you know, that, that, that problem, and I, I got to be careful how I phrase this, that problem of capturing data that's not supposed to be captured is not a uniquely new problem. Um, it, it, it's, it's a problem that's been around for a very, very, very long time. And when we're looking at the especially your last point the thing that bothers me about it about all of this is one the government isn't as evil as you think they are and i don't mean you larry i mean in general right two they're not as technically advanced as you think they are and in the same kind of the same breath they're far more advanced than you think they are And, and and i know that that all sounds weird and that sounds cryptic but the biggest reason why it bothers me this whole entire thing scares me is because i'm hearing a lot of people say the exact same thing that larry is saying is basically you've got to make an assumption that your phone conversations are being are being captured you've got to make an assumption that all of your emails are now being captured it's no longer an issue of if they're doing it it's pretty much now becoming a conversation that they are and the biggest problem i have with that is whenever we start saying things like that and i'm not saying it's wrong it's a perfectly acceptable thing to say but when we start saying things like that eventually people get to the point where they start accepting it that that's just the reality that big brother is in fact watching so they just kind of accept that and they try to do their best to use encryption to kind of get around it but eventually that type of complacency leads to a place that really fundamentally bothers me if we all of a sudden have a large percentage of the people in this country that just accept the fact that they are being watched constantly that does ingrain something in the way that we interact with our government and in the way that we interact with each other and that is terrifying to me because that it's kind of the beginning of changing the way we look at how the government does things with us for us and to us and and that that's probably out of all of this that's the single most scary thing is because there seems to be a lot of people that are marginally annoyed with the fact that the government may be sp- spying on what they're doing but they're not outraged and it's not something that's ever going to come to fruition as a as a big societal or social issue and that's what really scares me. And I think, Larry, you would agree. It eventually starts poisoning the way that people think. And it starts changing the needle as far as what it is we'll accept whenever it comes to actual real monitoring that is being done. Now, one of the things that <clears throat> is really worrying me with all of this is that we're almost all of us are basing our decisions, our comments, and everything on the interpretation of a selected list of PowerPoint slides that nobody has access to, nobody can verify, nobody knows if they were modified or not. The government will never admit, even if they were modified or not. And we're also basing on the interpretation that a reporter is doing on documents that he read that he he's not able or willing to release. So some of this stuff that I'm seeing is there's a lot of noise. A lot of people are being affected. Microsoft, Apple, Google, all of these companies right now are being affected by this. They're losing money. They're losing quite a bit of money because now people are going like, wait, I'm not going to do business with you guys. You're going to give everything to the government. 
or you're going to do all of this stuff because reporter so-and-so did it this way. That's one of the things I'm beginning to worry is that the more I see the story develop, the more I see the information this Snowden has put out, I see him talking, and I see what the reporter is putting out there. I'm not seeing also the backing, so I'm seeing both sides. The one that you mentioned, John, that uh, a lot of people are out there just simply are not caring about this. And the other side, I'm seeing that how easy it is to kind of manipulate the ideas of the people out there without actually giving them too much proof on it. This yeah. is something, and I'm not being the devil's advocate on this, but that it is one of the things that I, every time I keep reading on all of the news articles and everything on it, I, I go, okay, show me the proof. Uh, what was yep. the document? What was the date? Can you show me a scan? Can you even show me a picture? No, it's only a selected sort of set of information. And, and, and Carlos, I think that, that worries me. And I think that that's something everyone should be demanding. Um, so whenever I work with people that know a lot about this type of thing, I, like I said, there is nothing against every single citizen in this country demanding to know exactly how much the government is actually collecting. And there are people out there that will say things like, well, you know, you're putting Americans at risk. It's a, it's a classified program. We can't do it. That's bullshit. The government does not have a unilateral right to actually sniff every single one of your phone conversations or emails. Classified or not, I don't give a shit. And if that was what was actually going on, there are people that should be spending a long period of time in prison for doing that. And this complacency, and it's exactly what Carlos just said, is what fundamentally bothers me at my core. Because, you know, uh, you know, I have a clearance. I work on some really cool things. And there are always boundaries as far as what people can do in these types of positions of power. And if we have a small group of people at the NSA, the FBI, God knows wherever it is, I would like to think that everybody that has a clearance would say, no, this needs to be exposed and this needs to be eradicated as quickly as possible. But when if we start becoming complacent, it's going to start jeopardizing our future liberties that we have. And every one of us that have a clearance, anybody that is ever working with the government, we're supposed to try and protect those freedoms. So Snowden may have jumped the gun. He may be reacting to a making a mountain over a molehill. But I think there's people that we elect that sure as hell should be behind closed doors trying to get to the absolute bottom of exactly how widespread and how, how, how deep the actual sniffing of this type of data goes and try to get to the root of it. And what bothers me is a lot of these people, the elected officials that we have, really don't seem to be getting all that worked up over it. And that concerns me. Yeah. And now, now John, in directly uh, relation to one of the stories, uh, my number three DHS fail, um, so the Washington Post uh, put some articles out there. One of the images in one of the articles uh, was a, a slide from released from Snowden that says that it was uh, listed as top secret and DHS told folks with clearance not to go view this page because uh, if they did from their unclassified computer, it would elevate the rights of their computer to a classified uh, system. <laughs> Yeah, but this this because, has come up. This has come up in in other cases where yeah. people have been told they they can't. But but and if they even view it from home from their home computers, they have to notify that they did. And I'm like, no no no, this information is no longer classified. It's out yeah. in the public. No, but Get over it. Doesn't, that doesn't make any I difference. Know, I mean, I with all this classification bullshit that goes on, it's pretty much bureaucracy. Yeah. And 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 one of the big reasons why I would agree with that DHS email. Um, and that notification that you shouldn't view this is if you have if you are somebody with a clearance, and if it ever comes down that you have a data leak on your home computer, they they're not necessarily going to seize your computer. That's overly dramatic. But in most of the cases that I've worked, the person voluntarily 
brought their computer to a classified facility to be scrubbed, where we'd go through and we'd look for all the classified dirty words is what we would call them, find these dirty words or remove those files from that computer system. And if any time as an ISO or an ISM or a SCO and you're working on these particular hey John, cases, hey John. you go into a system and you scrub out classified data and you start finding more classified data, hey that's just really uncomfortable. So this is really put in place to help protect people, to be careful, but I also know what you're saying. It sounds completely hey, and utterly absurd. Hey, John, are those dirty words... Audio editor Steve, you can start the beep now. Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, tits, fart, and turd, and twat. Fart, turd, twat, and give, no. cre- and give credit to George Carlin where credit is due. <laughs> no, we, so, those aren't the dirty enough, words? Kind of, those are the, you guys know how insane this so, was? There were certain numbers. Like, you know, let's just pick a number, like 8888. That would be a classified TS fact. Wow. Uh, There were certain numbers that we had to do searches for on people's computers. And if this number showed up, it's like, well, you've got a classification data leak. And you're like, no, it's an Excel spreadsheet. What the fuck? Just very bizarre weirdness. I have a question then. Shit, piss, cunt, cunt, fuck, cocksucker, motherfucker, tur, and motherfucker were the seven words you can't say on television. With the bonus three of fart, tur, twat from George Carlin. So I have a question. Um, after some data is leaked publicly and it's like posted on news sites and stuff, why don't they just declassify it to save themselves a headache? Because if but someone just copies a news article... You're applying logic. Stop <laughs> the, the declassification <laughs> process... No, that's a very good it's, question. It's a, very, it's a formal process. Declassification is an incredibly difficult thing. Because if they went through, let's say, like these documents associated with PRISM and they decided to declassify them and basically say that they're unclassified at that point, they would be, in effect, completely declassifying the entire program. And and that's very, very uh, difficult for them to do. Also, any program that you work at in a classified facility has classification manuals. And a lot of these classification manuals are like 400 pages long. No joke. Straight up 400 pages long. Like if you have Walrus with Penguin, that's classified TS. You have Walrus with Penguin with uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. That's T-S-S-C-I-T-K. So you have all these different types of classification levels associated with combinations of data. And if they, it's not, a, it's not like they can just wave a magic wand and then all of a sudden all that shit's declassified. It's very, very difficult for them to selectively declassify data in those types of environments. So instead what they do, because it is in fact a classified program and it still is a classified program, it's much easier just to keep it classified, not necessarily because of the data that has been released, but all the other tangential data that is actually attached to that classified data. That sounds like a huge nightmare. Sorry. So, so you know, sorry, one of, I, I, one of the, before just, I let go of Jack, this one, Jack is I the last wanna, one to talk. I, then I, we're taking a I break. can't find it. Um, I had it somewhere, but uh, part of what's come out of this though is the number of people with clearances, the number of people that have clearances yes. from the U.S. government, is uh, violates the uh, you know the, the secrecy, right? You can uh, number two of people, people with clearances can, that don't work for right, the government right, directly, right? So you know the number of people that can keep a secret is the maximum number of people that can keep a secret is two, as long as one's dead. Yes. So <laughs> if you if you have a million people with varying levels of clearance and hundreds of thousands of them um, are contract employees, that's a problem. With that, we're gonna take a short break. Come back and wrap up the show. Watching, 
Thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of Paul.com uh, Security Weekly. We talk, will talk see. about a Wadden hit wonder with Rockwell. <laughs> that was a good call, man. Thank you for that. Um, hopefully, we can see as many listeners as possible at the upcoming conferences. Yes. Um, uh, by the way, Challenge Coins accepted. Yes. Challenge Coins accepted. We hope to see everyone there. Hopefully, we get to share uh, a drink, a cigar, um, some beers, good times yes. to be had by all. Looking forward to it all. Core discount code is Impact BSG. Larry, take us out. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) That was perfect timing. Over and out. (laughs) 